Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. This is a, a section of scripture. It's detailing some of the hard sayings of Jesus, some, some difficult sayings. He's, he's exposing the hard hearts of the Jewish people, and he's exposing our hard hearts. And we found out last week that these, the Jewish people that were uh, in this group that were listening to the teachings of Jesus, that they were great meteorologists. They could look out and see the clouds, and they could tell that a storm was coming. But they could not re- read the redemptive historical room. They, they could recognize that storms were coming, but they didn't realize the times that they were living in, and they had not recognized the Messiah that was teaching them. And it's like when we get, our, we get to our passage today, it's as if some people stood up to show Jesus that they were actually more discerning than he was giving them credit for. And so let's see what they start saying in Luke 13, verse 1. Hear God's word. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who, were, who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you, all likewise, you will all likewise perish. And then he told this parable. A man, had plant, uh, a, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Um, As it's already been shared, we ask that you would make it effectual, Lord, that you would change us, that you would open eyes and ears, and that you would give us hope this morning as you give us a warning this morning. And so we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we see in this passage that tragedies and death, tragedies and death in this lifetime, they're reminders that we too will die. And unless we repent, we will perish. Now they're not only that, but that that is a main, uh, something that we see in this passage here that we should take away when we look around and see a tragedy and see death. It's a reminder to us 
And so let's see what the problem was with these people. They had, uh, they had assumptions that had blinded them to their own plight because they're focused on others. As I said earlier, it's as if the people they were wanting to prove to Jesus that they had more discernment than he had given them credit for. See, it says in verse 1, there were some present at that very time. And this is connecting this group of people here with what was, what was given before, what Richard preached through last week. These people were in that crowd. They heard those teachings. And they stand up and they tell Jesus this story of these Galileans. That, that had, no doubt they had come into town to offer sacrifice, perhaps at the time of Passover. And they were cut down. Just a massacre. So gruesome that their blood spilled into the, the blood of the sacrifices. See, Pilate, he was known for his cruel behavior. The Galileans, they could pose a threat if they came in numbers into the, into the town to offer sacrifice in large numbers. And so oftentimes he would have, Pilate would have his people dressed up as just an everyday Joe. He would have his people spread throughout the, the common folk. And he would give them a word and they would... Uh, and, and inflict violence and attack those that were around them. And this is what happened in this, in this time. <clears throat> and, and they stood up to tell Jesus about this story. And they had this assumption, they had this assumption in mind that these Galileans were just horrible sinners. See, Jesus, we can read the times, we can discern what's up, we know what time it is. We see that they were, they were cut down. Their blood was mixed with their sacrifices. These are horrible people. God's judgment has come down upon them. And so they tell Jesus the story and they want to hear His input. But Jesus, He does not satisfy their morbid curiosity. Jesus answers them, do you think that these people are worse sinners than all of the Galileans? Because they suffered in this way. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And Jesus, He doesn't stop there. He doubles down and He brings up another tragedy. You know, you had this first one, Pilate, this, this uh, just evil, wicked man who carried out these acts of violence. And now you have something what people would call an, an accident. Now we know that God is sovereign. And, and we know that, that God works through his, his ways of providence. But here... We have a tower that has fallen on the people, the Tower of Siloam that fell on the people that killed 18 of them. And Jesus brings this up. It's as if he were doubling down. Do you think that these people on whom this tower fell, do you think that they're worse debtors than all the others in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. See, there, there was this mindset amongst the people of that day. And I think a mindset that, that we have oftentimes, it's, it's more akin to karma than it is to Christianity. We look around and we see the suffering and the death of people and we just assume that that's God's judgment poured upon them when we don't, we don't really know. You think of the suffering of Job. We're told in the first few chapters of Job that he was a righteous man, not a sinless man, but a righteous man of integrity. 
He was a righteous man of integrity. And then, you know, he's suffering more than anyone in here that we can imagine. And Job's friends, they come to him, and, the, and we've heard this before, the best counsel that they offered was when they just sat there and shut up and just, just sat with Job. But his friends, they come in and they offer some, some horrible counsel. And I'll just give you one example. As Job is sit, sitting there suffering, Eliphaz comes to him and says, Remember, Job, who that was innocent ever perished? A.K.A. Job, lay it on me. What kind of sins have you been partaking in that would bring this devastation upon you? Because good guys don't suffer. How about those disciples in John chapter 9 that asked Jesus when they passed by and saw a blind man, they said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that caused this blindness? What did Jesus say? He said, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus does not address the sinfulness or the lack thereof of these people in the passage. He doesn't address the sinfulness of the people involved in these tragedies. The point here in this passage is not that our sins don't bring earthly consequences. I mean, they, they, they do. But that's not the point of this passage. One point is that we ought not to jump to conclusions when we see others suffering and dying. And another is that we're all going to die, and unless we repent, we too will perish. If you've watched the news in the past few weeks, as it was shared in, in the pastoral prayer, um, just in this last week, you've seen the, his, the, the horrific stories of, of the earthquakes in Turkey, in Syria, where... Uh, the last I checked on Friday, the, the numbers were upwards of 22,000 or more that have lost their lives. 23 million affected by the disaster, and those numbers will only increase. And some may begin to speculate that that's God's judgment upon these, let's say, Muslims that inhabit this land. Or, You've read of the horrific slaying of four college students in Idaho. And as more stories come out, you find out it was a, a party house and you may check out Instagram accounts and, and you start to think, well, you know, maybe they got what they deserved. That's the way people think. Or you hear of a young man who was a block away from his home and he's killed by police officers that have been since fired for what they did, but killed by these police officers who were sworn to protect. And, and, and what we can do in that moment, and I include myself in this, we can start to assume well, he, he probably ran or he probably did something that he shouldn't have done. He deserved that. That's what we often do when we see people dying or tragedy. We can jump to conclusions and we are not to do that. The most glaring national tragedy for most of us 30 and older is the horrific events of September the 11th. You may have had people who lived there or were visiting there. You, may, you yourself may have been in New York in that time. Or you saw it on TV. You saw it unfold. 
And there was no shortage of preachers and so-called prophets standing up in pulpits and declaring that they definitively know the knowledge of God's will in that moment. One such person was Jerry Falwell. He said, The wickedness of pagans, abortionists, feminists, gays, lesbians, the ACLU, and the people of the American way, for the American way, were one reason that God punished America. I point the finger in their face. And Pat Robertson said, I totally concur. And the point here is not to talk about the sinfulness that was listed in this list here. The point is, they point the finger saying, we know why it happened. And we read this passage today and what Jesus said, and don't you think he would turn the finger back around and say, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. The point is not whether or not these things happen because of the people's sin. The point is there's something more important than speculation and morbid curiosity. You know, as I was reading this passage, I thought this would be a great time. This would have been a great time for Jesus to offer this airtight theodicy, explaining the goodness of God and the presence of evil. This would have been perfect in my mind. And then it hit me. Jesus is more, he, he, is, he is smarter than me. He is more wise than me. This is not what those people needed. This is not what we need in this moment. Jesus does not have time for that in this moment. Life is too short and the cost is too great. You know, we could have the best argument for the existence of evil and the goodness of God to give to, to, to skeptics. We could give people a piece of Noah's Ark and the strap from Jesus' sandal, and that would not save them. It does not have the power to save anyone. Jesus, He wastes no time here, and He does not waste the tragedy to tell the people what they really need to hear. He gets down to the brass tacks and we see he gives us the necessity of repentance. We see the necessity of repentance. He really brings the point home in verses two through five. In these verses, Jesus is he's he's telling us of the universality of sin. It's not those Galileans that were worse off than these Galileans. It's not those um, in Jerusalem over here that were worse off than others. It's not these uh, Greenwoodians over here that are worse off than these. You're all, we all are sinners. And Jesus gives us that in these uh, verses 2 through 5. He's saying, hey guys, don't think that any are worse off than you. Don't think that you are better than others. You must repent or you will perish. And this word for perish, it denotes an ongoing reality that pales in comparison to the earthly tragedy that these people are experiencing. See, with a massacre and with, with a tower falling on you and twin towers falling, all these things, at some point, that pain ends, specifically for those in Christ. But for those not in Christ, what, what we face after death is worse than any tragedy that we could face in this lifetime. That's what Jesus is saying here. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Not in the same manner 
doesn't mean a, a tower is going to fall on you necessarily, but the perishing that you'll receive unless you repent will be for eternity, forever. There is hell to pay for those not found in Christ. And we don't like to hear that. But Jesus is warning us here. And then he tells us a parable to illustrate the point and to show the people their problem. You know, you have this man who planted his fig tree in a vineyard, in, in, in uh, this fertile soil, and he, and he came seeking fruit, but he found none. And we saw in our Old Testament passage uh, in Isaiah, and if you read through the Old Testament, you'll often see Israel is compared to a, a, a fig tree. It's, fig trees are used as a metaphor to talk about the people of God. And here he's saying, we came looking in Israel, there's no fruit. There's no fruit. It's a barren land. No fruit on the fig tree. No true love for God. No true love for neighbor. They were filled with partiality and slander and murder and gossip and hatred. No fruit. And the only thing left for this tree is to be cut down and burned. Why should it use up the ground? This is why Jesus calls them to repentance. That they may bear fruit for God's glory. This is why he calls men everywhere, men and women, children, young and old. He calls us all to repent. So what is it? What is repentance? Sometimes we're so scared to utter that word as we don't want to sound legalistic. And, and other times people use it in a way that does promote works righteousness. So we need to know what it is. And I'm not going to be able to exhaust it all up here for you, but I hope I give you enough to where you can understand it and then you can do some study on your own. But what is it if it's so important See, in the Old Testament, we see it as this turning back from something. Specifically, a turning back from sin and idolatry, turning to God. I love this verse, Isaiah 55, or it's two verses, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. We see, we see repentance in this passage. And this is the one that I believe Charles Spurgeon was actually some guy just got up and read this verse and the Lord saved him. Didn't even preach a sermon on it, but he just read the verse, I think. Um, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So you see, there's this turning from wickedness turning away from this life of sin, turning to God. Why? So that God would have compassion on this person. There's a promise there, a promise to be met with compassion, a promise to be met with mercy and grace. Let him return to the Lord. So we see it in the Old Testament. We see it as a forsaking the way of sin, a turning away from sin, turning to God. And in the New Testament, we hear John the Baptist and Jesus preaching repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
We see in Luke that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in in Jesus' name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And then we see Peter's sermon in in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when, when Peter preaches and the crowd was cut to the heart and they ask, what shall we do? What are we going to do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is a life or death issue. We must be a repentant people. We can't stop there, though. There's some more to it. Repentance is just one side of a coin. Faith is the other side. Repentance and faith. And what can get confusing at times is we see in this passage, we just see Jesus say, repent. But, but if we read the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, we see that repentance and faith are used interchangeably. They are two different words and they denote two different things, but they are used interchangeably. One implies the other. Repentance is a turning from sin and faith is a turning to Christ. Repentance is a putting off of the old man and faith by faith we put on the new in Christ. If I, I don't even know if these are proper English uh, words. I'll get Elizabeth Hinckley to tell me later if, if this is correct. We repentantly believe and we believingly repent. There is no true saving faith that is not a repentant faith. And there is no evangelical repentance that is not a believing repentance. And the fact, as we'll close out, the fact that there is a literal hell, it's not the main motivator for repentance. We do see it here. It is here. We do need to know this, but it's not the main motivator of repentance. You know, sure, that thought should be there. But let's look at the fuel for repentance in verses 8 and 9. And this is how we'll close out. The fuel for repentance. We've seen the necessity of repentance, and now we're looking at the fuel of repentance. And what is it? It's the mercy of God. See, in this parable that, that Jesus tells, we see a vine dresser who says, uh, or we see a vine dresser come in to the man who planted the fig tree, who, who says, look, I've looked for three years. I don't see any fruit. Let's, let's cut it down. It's taken up ground. And then you've got, you've got this Scott Hampton come in, somebody who knows a thing or two, and he says, leave it, leave it alone. Let me dig around it for a little while. Let me fertilize it. Give it some time. This is the mercy of God for sinners. I believe, along with other theologians, people that I've read, that the vine dresser we see here is a picture of Jesus interceding. He says, leave it alone for a little while. Let me dig around it and fertilize it. Give it some time. This is the mercy of God for sinners. It's so easy to hear this and it it not impact us 
but we really need to sit in and think of the mercy of God for you, the mercy of God for me. It's easy to, to, we hear these things about judgment or we hear these things about death and we think, well, that's not me. It's not going to happen to me or that's a long way off. We hear that God pours his wrath out on sinners, but we don't see that in the present moment. We think, you know, my life's going okay. I'm doing all right. I'm still here. And just remember this, that every second that you are here, it's God's mercy. It's his grace. Every second. We see it in 2 Peter, 2, or, uh, 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter was dealing with people who were, who were presuming upon the kindness of God and the mercy of God. And he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We see the mercy of God there. And then he says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and its works that are done in it will be exposed. So we see in this passage and in the ones that I've read, we see the Lord's unimaginable patience towards sinners. But a reality that time is running out. So my encouragement to you would be do not presume upon the kindness and the mercy of God. His kindness and His mercy are meant to lead you and me to repentance. Because we, never, we don't know when we're going to be in the presence of a pilot who will take our life. You, you don't know, I don't know when I'm going to be standing next to that tower that falls. When I get the diagnosis. When the, somebody in the other lane swerves into my lane. You, you, we don't know when those things are going to happen. But know this that our time will come and God offers us a promise in Christ Jesus. A promise of a sure and steadfast hope. A promise of a future with Him. See, most of the people that were in the presence of Jesus when He called them to repentance, they did not turn to Him, at least at, at, at this point. Most of the people that, there, that were there did not turn to him at this point, but he continued to go throughout towns and he continued to teach and continued to do mighty deeds as he was journeying towards Jerusalem, heading to the cross where he would be beaten beyond recognition and hung up on that cross to die a humiliating, painful just horrible death. And you can imagine people in the crowd that had that mindset that we talked about earlier. And they looked at this man on this cross and they said, whose sin caused this? Was it this man's sin? Was it the sin of his mother or his father? 
that caused this. Surely no one would die like this unless they were a great sinner. And you know the answer. Their sin caused him to be on the cross. Your sin, my sin, caused him to be on that cross. He was an innocent man, but yet our sin was placed upon him. And he was treated like a sinner with the wrath of God poured out on him. So if you're in here and you've never repented, turned from sin and trusted in Christ and believed in him, I would encourage you, urge you to repent and believe the gospel. He offers you this promise of forgiveness, of redemption. Anyone in here who has never repented and believed the gospel, today is the day of salvation. Do not turn away. Do not waste another moment. One of, my, one of the old preachers I used to love to listen to, he's since passed. His name is Bob Jennings. He was preaching a sermon quite like this. And he, he, he said, you've got, you've got a Christ, a Jesus here, who's offering to take away your sins and take you to a place called heaven. And you say, no, I'm doing just fine. I'm, I'm right where I ought to be. Come on. Repent. Believe the gospel. And then we've got those in here. You're a believer. You've, you've repented and believed the gospel. There's this initial repentance and faith. But my question to you, and the one I have to think through for myself, is, is my life marked by a continual repentance? We initially repent and believe. And listen, believer, you are declared righteous in that moment. God declares you righteous. Done. You're justified. Never will you lose it. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But is your life marked by a continual repentance, a turning from sin because of this great thing that Jesus has done on your behalf? You know, think about it. Did you, did you lash out on the family last night or any time? Turn. Repent. Ask for forgiveness from them. Go to God. Confess your sin to Him. He is more ready and willing to forgive you than you are to repent. Did you say something in a group of people that's unbecoming of a Christian? And you know it. I've done it. And you need to go back and tell the people that you're sorry for what you've said. And you go to the Lord and confess your sin and repent. Student, have you treated someone at school in a way that is not becoming of a follower of Christ? Repent. Turn from it. If you need to go, make, if you need to, go to someone and ask for their, for their forgiveness, please do so. But repentance mainly is a, is a vertical thing where we are repenting to God for we have sinned against Him. And then oftentimes it's a horizontal thing where we need to go as far as it depends on us where we make things right with others. This is the Christian life, a life of continual repentance. Those who conceal their sins will not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes them finds mercy. And I wanted to give this illustration. It's going to be a little, uh, um, obviously you're going to, we can find holes in it. But I, for anybody that's still not, not figuring this thing out, I, I want to try to give you this. So I, th I was thinking about it this way. 
so, because I walk these halls all day as I'm like studying or preparing or whatever, um, a life of sin, let's say it's a walking down this hallway, and, and, and we're going towards the fireside room. The fireside room is a place of destruction. And you can keep going down that way, but it's, like I said, it's a, it, only destruction is there. But then you, you have someone in the kitchen. They call out your name and they say, Josh, there's a, there's a Miss Stevie, her cheesecake is in the kitchen. It's there for you. It's free. Turn. Receive it. Now, I can turn and receive it. I think that would be a picture of repentance and faith. I believe the promise. There's a promise of a cheesecake. And so I can repent. I can turn and, and go receive that. Or what oftentimes happens, what we've seen in, in the medieval church, um, it's not a turning and going and receiving the free gift. It's a turning into Anna's office and, and they want to buy some ingredients to make the cake themselves. And it's like, no, you can't make a Miss Stevie cheesecake. Don't try. You can't, you can't earn your salvation. Your works are not going to earn your salvation. The free offer is back here. Turn and receive it. So you've got that side that tries to earn their salvation. And then you've got another side that says, I'm just going to keep going down this path. I know in the fireside room, there are some oatmeal cream pies. There, this is the path of destruction, but, but I bet there's still going to be a cheesecake down there for me. And let me tell you, without repentance, there is no salvation. You, can't keep, you, you cannot continue to go down that path. And so turn and receive the free gift. Turn and receive the free gift. Why would we want to forsake mercy? And so let us say as we close, let us say with the psalmist. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my voice, my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? No one could stand. But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. May we be a people so blown away at the mercy and grace of God that we see in the face of Jesus Christ that we live lives marked by repentance and faith in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for... Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. For without your Holy Spirit, we, we cannot repent. As we read in John 15, Lord Jesus, without you, we cannot bear fruit. And so may we all abide in you by faith, walk with you. And by your Spirit, would you cause fruit to spring up in our lives? We can't put fruit on us, Lord. We can't paste it on us. Only you can cause it to bring, uh, cause it to come forth. And so we ask you to do this, Lord. Help us to abide, to walk with Jesus by faith, to turn from evil, and to pursue good. For that's what you've called us to. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. 
I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.